0: Hello. Welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. We play a strain of loud, heavy rock music, but I love to talk to musicians in all sorts of genres. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today's guest plays a style of music very familiar to me, however. Joining me today to talk about his newest album, The Burden to Become Fact, is Emmett Seglia, the drummer and songwriter of Detach the Islands. Uh, Detach the Islands play hardcore punk, but they use their technical skills to make the style even more chaotic and energetic. I talked to Emmett today about how he balances that aggression with good songwriting practices, as well as the personal, social, and political inspirations for his lyrics. Emmett and I have pretty similar musical backgrounds in many ways, which made it easy for both of us to go on a lot of digressions. As a result, this episode is a bit longer than I'd usually like to aim for, but hopefully our enthusiasm will carry you through. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Okay, so I am with uh, Emmett of Attach the the
1: Islands. islands. Uh, We
0: are here to talk about, is this, would it be, fair to say this is the first full-length record from the band
1: totally fair to say yes, okay absolutely
0: because it's 29 minutes so it's right along that kind of uh fault line between album and ep yeah yeah but to me when i listen to it it definitely sounds like fully formed there's a through line conceptually i don't know if that's entirely intentional but we'll, we'll get into that cool um it has an arc it's got you know a uh, intermission <laughs> at one point so it feels like an album to me that's how i look at it
1: yeah, I, and I, I hear you on that cusp of like, what is it? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a threshold that that's like, is it long enough to be an album, or is it enough songs to be an album? Right. Because like, if it's more than six songs, it's like six songs in like twenty minutes. That's probably an EP. Right. If it's six songs in fifty minutes, that's a record. Right.
0: That's a prog album. Yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. But if it's ten songs, it's it's probably never going to be an EP.
0: Yeah, I mean, even no matter like, how
1: grindy you are, right? Five it, minutes, ten songs, still a record.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like the the Gridlink records are like that, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um,
0: so the album starts with uh, sort of like an overture, almost, or like a introduction.
1: That's totally. That's so true. <laughs> that's a that's a great way to put that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's called uh, "Who Holds My Head Down." Right. Um, it also strikes me as the kind of thing that it, it's very indicative of like hardcore because. It feels like the sort of thing you open a set with to be like, "Hey, we're starting." You
1: yep, that, yes. Come back into the room. <laughs> That's right, dude.
0: Uh, so that was the intention writing it, or how did that track come about?
1: Yeah, the first bass player we had, his name was Tom Reddy, mm-hmm. and Tom was on the the first like demo we put out and everything. And he's just like, "I love bands with intros." And I'm like, you know what? I also love that. <laughs> it brings me back to like. Like, when I was in high school and listening to A Day to Remember, mm-hmm. on their second album, they have a one-minute intro track that's basically a breakdown. And I'm like, well, it's rules. Like, this gets me so pumped. Right. Because on its own, it doesn't do a lot except get me hyped. Like, it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, it's just like, here, now, it's happening, yeah. Right. And that's what I wanted it to be.
0: And it gives you sort of enough of an idea of, like, the template of you kind of learn a lot about a hardcore band from what type of intro they mm-hmm. have um like there's that uh, acacia strain record uh 3750 oh that that's <laughs> right it's like the this is true crime breakdown at the beginning you're like okay now i know exactly <laughs> what i need to know about this band from that kind of breakdown
1: oh my god and
0: it's the same thing with y'all because it's it's still heavy but it, the chords that you're using are you know super distort like uh, dissonant and yeah high up on the neck. It's not like a low chuggy kind of thing. It's it, you can kind of tell what, Oh, it's, it's one of these sorts of bands. Yeah. Right from the jump.
1: Yeah. And like, I want the songs to unfold in a way that by the time the song's over, you understand where you've been. Like, Mm. it's not weird. And then you're alienated the whole time. It's like, it's, it starts and it's, and you're like, it's weird. But then by the end, I understand. It's Uh like, I, the song tells you, how to learn it on the way. Right. We were talking about, uh, Berkeley before and I went, I went to Berkeley.
0: Whoa. And that's <laughs> <And> Berkeley <laughs> in Boston. Not the one in the, in the right. Bay. No, right. I did not go
1: to business school. Everybody I'm <laughs> playing hardcore. <laughs> um, I took a, my major there was electronic comp, uh, production and design. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of composition courses in that track. And one of them was avant-garde electronic composition. And we studied this guy named Edgard Baris. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this piece for the flute. It's like one of the, one of the most like prolific 20th century flute pieces there is. Right. And it has very strange harmonies and everything. And it starts weird, but by the time it's over, it's kind of taught you how to listen to it. And so by the end, you're like, oh, I just live in this world. Right. You know, like I, un- like uh, the hieroglyphs now make sense by the time I get to the end of the rock.
0: Totally. It's like, I, I don't know if you're a big like video game person at all, but there's always like a tutorial, you know, at yeah. the start that like yeah, teaches yeah, 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 you yeah. how to play the game. And exactly. it's the same thing with like listening to a song. You learn the language as you're hearing it. That's right. That's um, right. And so did you try out like multiple different types of intros or was this kind of like an immediate, like, I sort of know what I want, how the album to
1: start? Like, did I think that this was the one and only intro or are there other intro tracks that i made is that what you mean
0: i, I guess a, a better way to phrase that would be like how much how far along in the process of making the record were you by the time that you looped back around to make the intro track
1: i see no this was the intro mm-hmm. i went okay this this is starting shit all this can do is start the fireworks that's right. all this can be and it thankfully just like uh, the the way you said it before the arc of the record mm-hmm. it became the perfect uh, catalyst to set you off.
0: And why choose? It's an instrumental track, right. so why choose that particular title for it?
1: Because it's the title of the next. It's the title comes from the lyrics of the next song.
0: Mm-hmm. And you kind of want the that to be like the first question that listeners come across. Like is that sort mm-hmm. of like setting a lyrical tone for how people hear the the rest of the album?
1: I was initially thinking just how can I connect these two things so this doesn't sound like an intro that's detached from the rest of everything else. Right. And kind of like makes sense that, okay, we're going from point A, from point like location one to location two, and you can see that it's not just like randomly put in front of each other.
0: Right. It's not arbitrary.
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. And so. Is that a question that I want people to be thinking of right away? I didn't intend for that, but it definitely does set a kind of tone. You know, there's no lyrics, there's no vocals, there's like nothing. There's not a lot for you to go on. So it's kind of like a, 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 a movie that has a very limited script. You know, right. everything can be something because there's so little for you to look through.
0: Totally. I'm, speaking of, the, the very beginning of the track, there's this sort of like mechanical whirring noise mm. of some kind. The first yeah. thing that I thought of was like a, a film reel starting up. You know, so it's almost like this is the start of the movie, the projector's going. Cool. And now the like the rest of the picture can come in. What what is that sound at the very beginning?
1: That is the subway. The subway. That is just ambient subway recorded on my phone.
0: Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And it total it has a really unique effect.
1: And I wanted there to be these like levels of volume that's steadily creep up on you. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like when you think the, the stereo is like too low, you kind of creep in with your ear and then it's, you know, there's the, like the, the very quiet drumming with the ride symbol. There's like not a lot happening. You're like, what's happening. Boom. Right. Exactly. Then just like everyone just slams right on your head. Like they came out of the sky and hit you and you didn't see them
0: right onto the next track. Cause it goes directly into announcing piece. Right. Was this always this song that you knew you wanted to start the album proper, or...
1: It kind of, it became self-evident that this was going to be the one that, like you were alluding to with Who Holds My Head Down, this is the one that's going to show you what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Like, it does a lot of what happens throughout the rest of the record. I think of it more as, like, the overture. Like okay. this this has, like all the bits and pieces that you will then see explored more. It kind of does everything right. aside from having like a sludge part, like a proper sludgy part. Yeah. There's like a prelude and overture. And then we like, you know, go in on everything else uh, into explore everything else more deeply, but yeah, announcing peace ca- and, and it also was one of those tracks that's just like, okay, if you need to, this is what you need to know.
0: Uh, both musically and lyrically, would you say?
1: since the album is pretty diverse lyrically so uh-huh. uh, there's not like one lyrical theme that's happening but it's good i would say it's a good te- like template vocally mm-hmm.
2: like
0: mm-hmm.
1: this is what ashley's going to be singing like singing like yeah, exactly. the whole time for the most part so
0: the, it's interesting that you say that uh, it's a pretty diverse album lyrically because there's definitely a, a specific tone to the writing mm-hmm. still like they're using a lot of a very specific set of metaphors. And th- this is just my perspective. I'd love to hear yeah, you know, exactly yeah. how I'm wrong or whether I'm on it or not.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you but, can be wrong, but fair. Cool.
0: Okay. There's this sort of recurring metaphor of like geography hmm. as a metaphor for like the mind and the body, you know? And I feel like that starts to crop up. It gets more intense along those lines later on the record, but yeah. you start to start thinking along those lines in this mm. track. One of the things I thought was cool about this album and this song in particular is that even if everything is incredibly dissonant, you're still writing like identifiable leads in the guitar parts. You know, there's, there's like these melodies that even though they're not like singable melodies, they come up and you can identify them at all times. Was that something that you were consciously trying to keep in every song to kind of keep people's attention or what, was that sort of like a conscious effort on your part?
1: I would say to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the parts in general are, I wanted them to be written so that we're playing in a basement, right? You can still hear everyone. Right. Like no one's really stepping on each other too much. You know, there's not a lot of times when the guitar and the bass are playing the same kind of riff one octave apart and then they kind of become redundant. Like right. there's a lot of times when everyone is doing something else far enough away from each other harmonically where they just get separation just based on that. And then the intent behind the whole band is more of this is a hardcore band. What's hardcore not doing? Uh-huh. You know, where's this power violence hardcore thing? not going a lot of that has to do with not there's not a lot of structure you know there's not a lot of like proper song structure so what's this like one minute song with these really violent chords and all this stuff what if we just put that on a a little bit more of a a grid let's call it Mm -hmm. so to speak and then see kind of what happens there like what if we repeat parts yeah totally (laughs) what if things come back around what if there are themes and they and they reoccur or they mutate or what you know whatever
0: What about that kind of grid appeals to you as a songwriter?
1: Uh, If there's a good idea, I want to hear it again.
0: Right. Simple as that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, like, wow, you did that really cool thing. Why not one more time? Mm -hmm. You know? Sometimes there's uh, a, a tendency for this kind of music to become riff salad and things to start to blend together after a while because you've heard so many things that just either they go by so fast you can't remember them or... They never come back again, so you're just kind of bombarded by whatever the next thing is, and you're just living moment to moment, and you can't remember anything that happened to you before. So by the time the record ends, you're kind of like, wow, that was, uh, was that cool? I think that was cool, but I don't know what happened to me <laughs> like right. on the way. Yeah, I just have Im- this like vague I- impressionistic view of what I just went through, not... I'm not humming anything after it's all over or I'm not like left with anything distinct. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Were there any bands in particular that you maybe not emulated, but saw traces of that kind of approach in that you wanted to draw from, or did you have any kind of examples out in the world that you could point to for what you were trying to achieve?
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of the bands that influenced us the most. Are like United Nations,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Circe. Those are like really two really big ones. Um, gotcha. And those bands, they do have linear songs. So their songs are very short. But you know, every once in a while, they'll have one idea that will repeat once or twice, and you go, "Oh wow, okay." I just really latch onto this song. Or even Daughters. Like if you listen to a Recorded Inside of a Pyramid, you people really remember that one amongst hell songs for like it's it repeats itself like a couple of times yeah and you go oh okay this is very just like sticks in my mind like a nail you know i can't get it out
0: and that kind of helps the learning process that you were talking about earlier like Mm -hmm. learning how to listen to a song can only happen if you're given the chance to like quote unquote use that knowledge right exactly the second time the you know the part comes around now you know it now you Mm -hmm. know how to listen to it and what to listen for
1: right it's like if we were in class Mm -hmm. and you presented me with a lesson and then we never talked about it again before the test and the test is like two months later (laughs) i'm probably gonna fuck that up right exactly probably gonna make a mess of whatever that thing was that you said once a long time ago i'm gonna remember the thing that happens right before the end
0: when did you start writing for this record
1: 2015 okay and 2015, was, I think, yeah.
0: Was this uh, early on in that process or did this song come later?
1: This song was pretty early. Uh huh. So, what happened was, I was in this band called Auto Catalytica and that was starting to fade. Like, it was, the end was coming. Mm-hmm. And I was approached by a friend of mine named Steve, who's the guitarist, singer of um, Cloud Becomes Your Hand. Okay. You know who they uh, are? The
0: name sounds familiar. Okay. I'm,
1: they're like a Zappa kind of band. Sure. Like really out there stuff. And so he came to me and was like, hey, do you want to start a hardcore band? And I went, with you? That's so crazy. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, that sounds wild. So I just got kind of into that idea and started writing some stuff. And then I brought, like, four or five songs mm-hmm. to him. And I went, hey, what about these? You know, what you want to, like pick these apart and play them or whatever. And he went, you know, this really isn't what I intended. But these songs are cool. You know, hang on to them. Like, do something with them. And then we kind of, like, went off and tried to start something together, and it didn't work out. But I went... But some of the songs that ended up on this album were those ones that I brought to him. Okay. And I went, okay. He thinks that's cool. Let's just kind of go for it and, like, see what happens with this stuff. So I just kept going from there and this was one of the songs
0: gotcha and so it i know we've talked about this separately but mm. i think it's really important for the listeners to understand how you write these songs yeah. So you're a drummer yes but you you map out all these uh these songs using midi at home is that correct that's right so you're not actually playing all the guitar parts or anything no. can you play guitar no have you ever tried
1: bad yeah it's okay. not good <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how exactly? I kind of know how this works because this is also how I write music. Yeah. But how do you go about doing this?
1: A lot of the times, well, these songs especially, a lot of the times it started with a bass line. Mm, okay. Some kind of bass idea, because that's only one note at a time, right? So I'm like, right. okay, this bass part sounds really intense. And a lot of the impetus or like the intention behind how the songs were written was very much like how Glassjaw writes their parts. Okay. Which is the bass and the drums are doing a lot of the heavy lifting of what the song is. And then the guitars are just kind of this atmosphere of intention. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's what I wanted a lot of the parts to be like. Like it's very bass heavy harmonically. Like the bass is telling you where we're going. It's really holding everything together. And then the guitars are just kind of like swirling around you and, like, setting a mood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, bass first for a bit of them. And then I went, okay, what goes with this bass line? And then there's one guitar part, and then i like, the, okay, okay, what goes, like, in between or on top of these two existing parts? And does it make me want to break shit?
0: <laughs> That's sort of the, the fundamental question that you've got going on when writing music? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, for at least this for stuff. this project, yeah.
1: Yeah, does it make me want to break everything? Mm-hmm. And do mm-hmm. I, or just do I feel, like, Desperate and, like, the music is falling apart. Right. Barely holding itself together. If I feel those things, then I'm like, okay, something's happening. Because I I have to feel that a lot for you, the listener, to feel anything right? at all.
0: You know that picture of, like, Michael Phelps with the hood up doing, like, the real nasty stank face before swimming. Have you ever seen that?
1: I don't think so. Okay.
0: It's this great picture of him, like preparing for a swim Okay, and just like got his headphones on, hood up and just this like gnarly riff face. (laughs) And I always think like, if you're in like a heavy band Mm. and you don't make that face, listening to your own music, then you're not releasing anything good.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) You've got to feel that a hundred percent.
1: That's sick. Cause no one else will otherwise. Right. Exactly. And I was in, um, at school, I was in a, slam poetry club
0: Mm, for
1: all four years of being there. And that was one of the performance intention things that we learned. You know, if you're not feeling what is coming out of you like 10 times more than the audience, they'll never feel anything. Right. So, you know, like you have to be on just, it's like not exaggerated, but you just have to be at this level of feeling Mm -hmm. before they even hit like a blip. Right.
0: that's a, that's a perfect segue into the next topic I wanted to talk about with this song, which is the lyrics. Sure. And yeah. so you've also write the lyrics for this band. As yes, well. that's right. Um, so that's interesting that you took a slam poetry course too. Do you feel like that had any kind of effect on your lyric writing at all, or is that just too distinctly?
1: Different? Totally, totally. Okay. I mean, I was actually never in a class, uh-huh. but I was in the club for gotcha. four okay. years straight. So mm-hmm. I was just like immersed in this lyrical, you know, word universe for that time like all the time I was in school basically from my first semester to the end Mm -hmm. a friend of mine actually started the club in our first year she said uh, her name's Sarah and Sarah's from Minnesota where they have a sick slam scene in Minneapolis interesting like really heavy slam scene in Minneapolis so she comes to Berkeley and goes there's no slam scene here I'll fix that (laughs) and starts the club and then it just blows up uh huh uh, and it's like still happening at the school. And that was almost 10 years ago.
0: Gosh. Gotcha. Wow. That's right. incredible.
1: We're wild. Yeah. So I, I was like living these like two lives. I had this like word heavy life. And then the, like the music heavy life that I was experiencing mm-hmm. with bands and classes and, and stuff. So answering your question directly. Yes. The slam experience, the poetry experience definitely shaped the way I was writing and The kind of of rhymes I was leaning toward or avoiding or Mm. just like how much further can I push every single line, you know, because with slam, everything you say matters. Right. Not that it doesn't matter in any other place, but it really matters with that because there's nothing else. Right.
0: going back to the same idea that we were talking about with the intro track. Like because right. there's nothing else. Everything that you do do has to matter ju- like that much more.
1: Right. Exactly. This is you and the words. That's mm-hmm. all they, they have to get from you. So you know, I really pour it over like, okay, every single line, how how far can we push this? And that that, that theme extends to the music too. Like every single thing What's the the um like the greatest development of this that I could get out of it? Like, mm-hmm. how extreme can I make the dissonance before it's just like incongruous? Yeah, you know, how much can I make that feeling of desperation? Like, how high can you raise it, Et cetera.
0: Addressing the theme or the lyrics of this particular track. Right, back to the actual lyrics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing you're trying
1: to get me to talk about for ten minutes.
0: <laughs> so the vibe that I was getting was it's essentially about like running into the same types of problems in your life mm. over and over and over again and being unable to get to the root of it or change and escape those problems. like You can sort of live more and, and get all these experiences but you keep running into the same roadblocks repetitively. Mm. Um, and that made me sort of, the other vibe I got from it was about like if that keeps happening to you, it starts to force you to question how much agency and control you really have over your own life you know, hmm. am I off base here or what do you,
1: that's not what I intended, but okay. I, I'm really curious to hear how you got there. Okay. You know, so you are getting this feeling from the lyrics, you know, can you, can you talk about any of the ones that made you get there? Yeah. Or... yeah.
0: Let me, let me pull the lyrics up on my end. Yeah.
1: That's really cool, man. That's okay. really, really cool. So
0: there was a few specific lyrics that I was drawing from and I, maybe the reason I'm not get I didn't quite get it right is because. I, I sort of honed in on a specific set of lyrics. Sure. Know? It's in this middle section. Like, you'll split the continents to find that they'll reform in the same mess you saw before. Right. Um, and then the next line is, who holds my head down? Yeah. And so the the vibe I got, and maybe this is just because this is something that I think about a lot, is like, shit, I keep trying to do something different, and they <laughs> it still keeps forming back together, and <laughs> I can't escape this fucking like, trap that I'm in, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... Why am I being fucked this way? Hmm. You know that's at least what I got from it. What were you intending to get across?
1: So there it's not that off, okay, right? like it's at least that part specifically does deal with something that's like that. Mm-hmm. This song is like a it's a political track, right? So oh, okay. it deals with like government machinations and just the way that you know power kind of circumvents you and, and everything. So the announcing piece. That came to me as like, like almost like virtue signaling, mm-hmm. you know, politicians who preach peace and that will be humanitarian and will go out into the world and do good and rescue and whatever they say they're gonna do, and that's like a front. Gotcha, you know, because all, there's all presidents and prime ministers and these whoever, you know, that's a, a, usually is something that they say, right? Because what person would say, you know, we're gonna go over there and depose their government and strip them of their resources so that we can kind of keep our place on the chessboard and still keep everybody else off balance. Like, no one's just going to go out and (laughs) say say that. Yeah, you can't give away the game. Right. right?
0: And Um, so instead they say we're liberating people or we're preserving peace in America or whatever country this happens to be. That's usually the language that's
1: used. Exactly. So this was a way for me to, like, call that out interesting saying
0: wow that's funny i usually I am prone to overanalyze things politically but i just went mm. in the entire opposite direction <laughs> on this one apparently
1: now i mean that theme that you brought up though happens in other songs okay like that's in here yeah and there is a lot of questioning of like why do things keep happening despite trying to do things differently mm-hmm. sure um but in this song it's about that those sets of lines that you pointed out, it's about like redrawing maps. Right. You know, things are the same no matter how you try and divide everyone or split things up or whatever it is. Whatever
0: new name you want to call the old structures, the old structures are still there and are still working in the same way.
1: Right. Yes. And I think if I'm remembering this (laughs) correctly, it says announcing peace, the easiest bloodline to bathe in. Right. That's like how the song starts. That's just telling you right away what's up. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of selling peace to everyone, that's like the easiest thing to to go back to. Right. Because everyone's been doing it, right? So you should just keep going there.
0: Yeah, and it, it it's playing on people's hope or right. on people's, you know, desire for something different. You can always, because people always implicitly know what's actually going on in the last administration or in the last regime, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to say, no, I'm not going to do that. What I'm actually going to do is preserve peace in some way, but you're just going to use that as cover up for the exact same sort of shit that the previous. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Were there any like specific uh, events that were occurring when you were writing this song that led you to think about it or how did you decide to approach that topic?
1: It's just a, a theme I see play out. Mm-hmm. politically, especially in America. Yeah. You know, America promotes itself a lot as this liberator and place of uh, of just peace within. Mm-hmm. You know, like America's fine. Nothing's happening in America. Everything's, everything's great. We're great. We're so great. Yeah. And America is great. It's a wonderful place full of wonderful people who are usually just poorly represented. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. In oh, the absolutely. words of Henry Rollins, we're great people, but there's a lot of work to do, you know? And I, I, I would never do try to defend all the things that have happened here, you know, and just say, like, oh, everything's fine. But I think there are people in power who would rather just say, we're great, don't look, don't look behind me. Just, like, just keep looking ahead. Like, right. don't look at what's going on behind us. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's peace at home. We're forging peace abroad when, in reality, that's just the, the cardboard in the movie set that mm-hmm. like looks nice, but there's a lot going on behind, you know?
0: And so were there any other songs on this record that are specifically political or is that something that's unique to, to this track?
1: Reset Yourself to Zero is also okay. a specifically political song.
0: Gotcha. And we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. Uh, but for now, the next track up is uh, The Rhythm That Starts the Dance. Right. This is an interesting shift. I think it's a, a cool choice because this is a much slower song right um and immediately kind of sets up that you're not just going to be all fast all the time mm-hmm. um and it's a bit more simple uh, structurally right I, it kind of just it, it's a nice like zig where other bands i feel like zag a lot of bands like double down on the first half of records where it's like heavy heavier 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 you know <laughs> faster 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 yeah, until yeah, it yeah. breaks down but you're like let's slow the pace down a bit immediately yeah you know? um why put this song where it is on the record
1: I didn't think that it fit anywhere else. Okay. And so it was one of those like, okay, I think it just has to go here. Mm-hmm. But also, what you said pretty much exactly. You know, we're, I'm not going to just show you everything one shade, here it all is. It gets too repetitive too easily. Mm-hmm. Especially because a lot of the songs that are very D beat heavy, you know, it's just like bang, 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 and that's it. Yeah. And I wanted this one to break things up a little bit more.
0: Totally. And it starts slow and it gets slower as it goes. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that it's, knowing that you write it all on MIDI, was that sort of de, uh, like deceleration something that you programmed in? Or did that come from like playing the song with the band and working it out naturally?
1: Right. It came the, the naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, we were playing and playing and then we were at practice and said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we just like, Ugh, move this back like a little and that happened in some other songs where mm-hmm. it was like oh but the ending just like, you know and it's another way to give variation to this like you said very simple song at the end of the day there's only one part really yeah it's just that, it's, that main riff pretty right, much. right it's the bass line yeah and that's what started the song i'm like okay okay backtrack really quick do you remember the code orange kids
0: Yes, back when they they were were Code Orange kids. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really like that album. Mm -hmm. What is it? Love is Love, Return to Dust. And there's a track on there, the third track, which is almost entirely bass. Mm -hmm. It's almost all bass. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just the thickest thing ever. I'm just like, how had they do that? I want to do that. (laughs) That sounds like a really fun idea. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the song isn't just bass for a minute and a half, but I wrote the bass line kind of going with that as a touchstone. Going, okay, I want like bass to really propel us forward here, and it really just be about this bass line. How
0: how much of the songwriting process changed when you were taking the songs from their original MIDI form and bringing them into the practice room or bringing them on stage, like? Did the songs change a good deal, but through that kind of collaborative process or almost none, almost none. So this is kind of an exception then.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, and and it wasn't even like much people just said, well, what if we just slow it down a little bit? Right. Oh, okay. Go back to the MIDI file, change the tempo, like remap all the shit and then like resend them the new demo and go, here's what we thought. Yeah. You know, and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah. And it just kind of builds from there. Just, yeah. It just, there's the bass line, then there's the drums and the vocals, then the guitars are kind of in like a stripped down version of themselves. And then we move from toms to a crash cymbal everything has some lift. We're still kind of doing all the same parts, but now it's just an expanded version of the guitars. And then that doesn't last too long before we then slow everything down a bit to like three quarters tempo. Right. And everyone's still playing the same thing, but now you're like, oh, it's so much slower. It's it's so much different. Right. And you're yeah. just like, I was, the a lot of the, the game of this song was how much can I eke out of this one idea? Like, how, how long can I get this one idea to last and it still be compelling?
0: Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I'm again just going to jump out of the window on this
1: one and see if I land. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm into it.
0: That like the the title line, like the rhythm that starts the dance. It's yeah. to me that's like get to the root of it, you know, mm. not like attack the disease and not the symptoms. Instead of trying to like solve things on the surface level, what's what's the core problem here? Let me let me get right at that. Was that what you were going for?
1: That's totally correct. Okay. Yeah, and it's about kind of like what you're talking about before with how do these things keep happening? It's about that, but with you know, relationships. Uh-huh. You know, like, how do I keep getting into these same kinds of things or, you know, why do things keep ending a certain way or just like, it's kind of like musing on that mm-hmm. thing. And so it's like, you're saying attack the rhythm that starts to dance.
0: And that also, it makes sense that it's a, a relationship thing. Cause the other theme I, I saw here is in the second verse, uh, can you reconstruct the accident before the airbag became my death? Yeah. So the airbag, the airbag, the thing that's ostensibly supposed to be keeping you alive is the thing that is killing you in some way. And so why is that? Okay, that makes it all click together much better for me. Yeah. That's cool.
1: And this was, like, the lyrics kind of want to eke out as much as they can from each other, similarly to how the music does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's in the third or fourth group here. I don't have them right in front of me, but...
0: Uh, The third would be dissolve before there is another word.
1: Right. Um, the, the the beginning, like the first half of the beginning comes back and like okay. ends that. Yeah, yeah. And so there's like lyrics coming back, but not all the way. And then like they're linked in with other lyrics. And, you know, it's like having musical themes like they're they're established and then they get reincorporated in some different way later.
0: Right. Which makes it it's sort of it both reinforces the idea and adds nuance to the lyrical idea as well. Because right. it's not the same every single time. So you get to think of each line differently the next time you get to it.
1: Right. Even if it's repeating, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, Brian Eno or David Bowie, some legend.
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Right. (laughs) They're talking about, uh, or David Byrne. They're talking about repetition in music and like loops and lots of repetition going on in a song. And they're saying that, you know, that people think that things that are very repetitive, you know, it never changes. It's so boring. And, The thing about repetition is that you keep changing.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Even as the music doesn't seem to be changing. Like every time it happens again, you're a little bit different. Like something's a little different with you.
0: Totally. That's like in, I also went to music school and that around that time I was getting really into like Steve Reich and Philip Mm. Glass and all that kind of minimalist shit. And that was exactly why I loved it is like I can change how I listen to the same part. You know, you can keep playing the same part, but I will start to adjust my ear. Mm -hmm. And it's like walking around a room and looking at the same object from a bunch of different angles or something, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So when it comes to writing lyrics, are you writing these concurrently or are these like separate poems that you then adapt to songs? What's your lyrical process?
1: Uh, A lot of the time it's separate Mm -hmm. and it's usually just music and then lyrics are in some other place. And then when I feel like the song is done, done, quote unquote, I'll go, okay, I think it's time for vocals now. Right. Um, and then I'll just kind of go through a bunch of things that I've written and just like go th- back through a bunch of notebooks and just start looking for things that I feel like connect with that musical idea. Or if, if I had the, the music with a very specific intent, like, okay, I'm, I'm really feeling this, so I'm writing this music like corresponding to that feeling directly. I'll go back and say, did I write anything that has, that's addressing that feeling? Or if not, I'll write to that feeling. Right. And then, and then just write and write and write and then go, okay, what fits over the song? And then deconstruct and reconstruct things over that. So there's a lot of rewriting that goes into all this stuff. It's a lot of like, throw everything out there. And like bring it all back down and put it back together and go back over it and go back over it again and again and again and then the lyrics fit. Okay, and then we're back and forth and we're back and forth and then it, it all just it eventually will settle. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, the song is kind of telling me where it wants to go next. Like, that's the that's the point I always want to reach is I've, I've got an idea, I think, and it's maybe it's going somewhere, maybe it's not, and I'm trying a bunch of different things and then all of a sudden something will click and I go, oh, okay. There's a there's suddenly some breadcrumbs that yeah. I see in front of me. Let me follow that. And then the song, quote unquote, starts speaking. You know, it starts telling you what it wants to do and what's what's going to happen next. Or like, this really isn't the beginning. Yeah. You know, this is the end. Yeah. And then we're gonna, oh, okay. We're gonna just like write backwards from here and then try and get here. What's gonna get me here? Because mm-hmm. this feels like a really like. Satisfying or punishing ending to Mm -hmm. this whole thing.
0: Is there any song on the record that stands out as one that you had to rewrite a noticeable amount more than the rest?
1: No, no, tons of rewriting all Uh, the time.
0: Gotcha. So, no, no, nothing came easy on this one.
1: No, I don't, I don't, I write usually pretty slowly. Mm -hmm. Very few times in like anything that I've written for piano pieces, other bands. Is it just like overnight done it came out the way it came in like that's it Mm -hmm. like i have an electronic album under the name heaven view and that took like six years to finish yeah you know and it's 10 songs it's like an (laughs) hour of music
0: yeah i I relate to this a lot you know yeah
1: (laughs) so that's just the things just take a while (laughs) especially because the, the music is so... How do I say this? It's like all the songs are like a house of cards. Mm-hmm. It's all so just delicately stacked and like one note here or one note there. it's all all falls apart. Yeah. And it's not like it's so perfect or anything that it would be non-musical or something like that. But if you change a couple of things, then it's not dissonant in the intended way. Totally. Like it's not going to make you want to break everything the way I want it.
0: (laughs) I think this, the next song is a perfect example of that. Uh, love is the miracle we fabricate. Yeah. Cause then after you've slowed down, you really ratchet it way the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this song is fucking insane.
1: Yeah. It's Uh, crazy. dude. Yeah.
0: And it's, it also is, it's very particular. There's a lot going on, which means that if things are not working exactly, it would be very easy to tell. Right, you know, because the the opening riffs loop, loops around in a weird way against the D beat rhythm that you're doing on drums. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's just the total like glitching computer kind of thing that happens <laughs> a few times on this one, where the you know guitar gets super high pitched, blast beats are going. It's like yeah. it's bananas. <laughs> so I'm assuming you wanted to write something fucking crazy when you wrote this.
1: Yes. Yeah. And this was this was another one of those times where the the band. Didn't They didn't necessarily have input, but they inspired me to push it a little further. Because uh-huh. we got to the – I finished the song, right, and I bring it to everybody, and they're like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. And I went, okay, is it – you know, does it need anything else? And Sedu said uh, – oh, no, sorry. It was Jay. He goes, yeah, we need to shred more. Like, <laughs> more shred, dude. Yeah, and I, Or oh, sorry, it's not even this song. I said, you know, what do we need? Like, is there anything that we're just like not getting – Because I usually, you know, like we said, I finish the stuff and I kind of shop it to them. we are like, does this work?
2: Mm -hmm. Because I don't
1: know. I'm not playing it. You know, I'm just like, I think this is sick. Right. What do you guys think? Usually they're like, this is sick. (laughs) Um, But not always. Right. So Jay's like, yeah, more shred, dude. And I went, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: you really want that, huh? (laughs) This is a funny part of being a drummer and writing music for guitars. It's like, you... I. I can be like, yeah, I can write the craziest shit I've ever heard. I have (laughs) no idea if it's even playable. Like I've got no limitations here. I'm writing fucking MIDI, you know, your ass is the one that's going to have to learn it. You know?
1: Yeah. I have some, vague idea of like the mechanics of the guitar in like you know an abstract kind of way Mm -hmm. you have four fingers you can really only get over four or five frets at a time and all the frets are half steps and then the next string is usually like a fourth so I have like a very uh, loose idea of how they have to work right? and I try to think of well could I air guitar this? yes okay they can probably do it you know (laughs) So that's definitely where that section that you're talking about comes from, where there's blast beats and the like, dueling lead guitars happening. But again, there's that harmonic stacking happening. The bass right. is just pedaling on one note the whole time. I just wanted to give Eric a break. And I'm like, just hang on that F sharp or whatever it is, dude. Just like, just chill there. Right. Like me and him, we're not really doing a lot. We're just very statically like pounding away. And then Sadu's part is the one in the middle. You know, it's like B. I I wanted it to feel like bees were attacking you, like yeah. <laughs> it's like some really fucked up rhythm. It's like thirteen a group of thirteen notes or something, just that and then that is cycling around all on its own. Right. And then there's Jay's part. And Jay uh, put like a half step harmonizer on. So it's just like extra fucked.
0: Right. You know. So everything seems like it's pulling apart at the seams away from itself. But that only works because the bass and drums are locking in. And right. sort of keeping the listener grounded, even though what they're doing sounds insane.
1: Yeah, and I think if there was a lot of bass movement, it would just sound like a mess.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you also then try to like <clears throat> balance out, like having a song or a part that the bass goes insane, where something
1: else stays static, or yeah, you can only have so much, mm-hmm. right? And then before it turns into a noise, yeah, and, or just like you can't focus on anything, and there's there's no. There's nothing to latch – there's nothing to, like, grab onto anywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you want that, but you can't do that for that, for that long. You, mm-hmm. know, you, you can have that as, like, a destabilizing moment that helps bring you into something else. Yeah. Um, but too much of that, then it just it doesn't really sound like anything you know, and you're just like kind of making a mess and that's fun for you. <laughs> right. But,
0: and maybe for five other people that like also like that shit, but you're, yeah. you're limiting the effect of it pretty extremely by right. going full chaos. And I want to feel something. Right. right? <laughs> like even this insane, like bees part comes back again at like near the end of the song. Like it doesn't happen only once or at least
1: it happens actually very soon after it happens for the first time. Right. It's like that, a chorus chorus. And then, it happens again right away.
0: Right. Okay. Yes, that's right.
1: So Um, we have this almost like a rondo form happening where we have like A, B, C, B, A, and then, and then we're like going off somewhere. Right. Totally.
0: This song also has like that, like metric modulation breakdown in it too, which I fucking love that shit so much. (laughs) Uh, When you write a part like that, are you writing that for the intention of the person listening at home on like, headphones or on speakers, or are you thinking about how that's going to play, like, in the basement, in the concert venue? I'm
1: kind of always thinking about the basement. Uh-huh. You know? That's where I... Just, like, will it work in the basement? Do I feel good, like, here? You know? I'm always thinking about the basement. Right. But um, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, people do this. Let me do that. Yeah. You know, let me try that. Like, oh, this is a trope. What can I do with it? You know? And then... Hopefully uh, it's happening in a way that you're like, oh, a metric modulation. I know what that feels like, but I don't know that it sounds like this. Like, yeah. this is so fucked. Like, that's what I wanted. And I do that a, a fair bit. I'm like, okay, people do this thing. Let's do it. But then just like mutate it like way over there.
0: Right. Do it in your way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The way that only you could do it.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so lyrically this one, I think is <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong again, but pretty obviously a relationship song Sort of. Okay, good. There is some, there's another angle on it. So what else do you have going on here?
1: There's like a direct response to dating apps, to like online dating. Ah, aha. And just that, that was like the spark. And then it turned, it blossomed into this other, like analysis, look at whatever you want to call that um, on just Love in modern media in, in general and how love is as a concept and like a, a product is packaged to you, mm-hmm. especially when you're very young and you're sold on it happening a certain way and things are supposed to go a certain way for you and it looks like this. It sounds like this. It feels like this. These are what you should. This is what you should expect. And it's generally a bunch of bullshit. You right.
0: Know? Yeah. That like do, did you ever watch the show Mad Men? No. Okay, one of my favorite shows of all time. Mm-hmm. I fucking love the show. In the first episode, you know, it's about a bunch of advertisers. Adam, right, like
1: right, right, right. Dudes who make
0: ads. And at the end of the first episode, one of the main characters sort of gives a speech along those same lines. Like, oh, your concept of love, like, that, like, shot to the heart, that, like, electricity, all of that stuff, is something that we use to sell you shit. Right. You know? Like, that is just an invention that makes, like, buying products, you know, more attractive to you. Right. But it has the side effect of like ingraining this idea of like what you then think your relationships should be like. And it's only getting worse when you take in like social media and the, you know, dating apps that are directly integrated with social media. And it's all kind of playing on your idea of what you should be and what your relationships
1: should be. Right. Exactly. That's a, that's totally what I was going for. That's what's, I was very, very much being affected by that. Yeah. You know, and it was really kind of gross. Yeah. This is a
0: very angry song, (laughs) (laughs) but that's fitting for the music. You know, it's not, it's not defeated or self-interested. It's sort of a lashing out against something.
1: Yeah. It's like, look at this, look what they're trying to do with you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and a lot of the, um, most insidious things don't have anything themselves. They just use what you have and just spin it around until you don't know who you are anymore. Right, you know,
0: it's taking advantage of something that's sort of naturally occurring in you, right? And pushing you to devalue or yourself in favor of some sort of, you know, yeah, it's it's like jujitsu, uh, jujitsu or something. Like it's yeah, ju- yeah using the your momentum against you. The most fucked up
1: jujitsu there is. Yeah, <laughs> it's like distorting and commoditizing your view of how love is supposed to be, mm-hmm. and just like flipping it around in your face and going like, oh no, this is this is what's real. Yeah. You know, and it's so hard to get around that because when you're, uh, the when you're cognizant for the first time, it's already there. Yeah, you know, it's already happening, and it's happened to your parents, and like that's our that's like shaping you in unconscious ways already, and it's hard to like uh, just even just crack the mold. Right. By that. the time
0: that you realize that it's something you've got to fight against, you're already fighting on their terms.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So one thing that I'm noticing coming up in the lyrics so far is there's a sense of like projected reality versus actual reality. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're sort of saying like, these are the things that are shown to you as the way things are. But, you know, if you put on the they live sunglasses, this is how things actually, (laughs) you know?
1: Right. And it's not like a wake up sheeple. Right. It's kind of like, this is what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. and it pisses me off. (laughs) You know? That's
0: kind of perfect. Like still going on my like sort of harebrained interpretation of the opening sound as a film reel. That's like a projection, you yeah. know. Yeah. So sort of works.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and at the end of the song, you know, I'm like, take your fake world and destroy it. Mm-hmm. You know, just like try and as much as you can condense that into something that you can get rid of, and you know, kind of get on with how you really feel.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So when I first heard it. I thought of it as, like, an accusatory, like, go fuck yourself kind of thing. Like, Well,
1: that too. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but it, it's cool to flip it instead as, like, a message of, like, self-empowerment in some way. Like, take your fake world and get rid of it in yeah. order to establish your real one. That's very, like, hardcore, in my opinion. is sort yeah. of, like, that's the lyrical conceit of hardcore punk is, like self-improvement in some way or like self-encouraging like you to do better for yourself.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's both things happening at once, right? There's mm-hmm. that, <clears throat> I'm telling the people who are kind of like doing this to our s- social structure to fuck off, mm-hmm. but then you also can do that for yourself and say, everything that I have about me that has been constructed by someone else to be put around me I can get rid of that too.
0: I also feel like that fits into the next song, Culture Architects. Like that's mm. almost the exact title in itself sort of says it. Like <laughs> there are people that create the world that we live in and we can tell them to fuck off in some way. Mm. Um, but perhaps I'm off <laughs> mark again, I love this. <laughs> I love being thrown for a loop by a record like this.
1: Yeah, so t- tell me what you think the lyrics to this. Honestly,
0: theme. this this is one I had a lot of trouble with. <laughs> It seems much like more opaque, or much more like deliberately um, opaque is not the right word. Obtuse, so that's the O word. Yeah, yeah, form. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, um, it's it's much more trying to like hide its meaning. Mm. At least to me, I felt like I couldn't get a clean grip on it. Uh, so I'd I'd love some you know clarity on this one.
1: Yeah, uh, it has a lot to do with memory. Mm, okay, and I think about. I think about memory a lot. <laughs> you know, what is real? What actually happened or the thing that you remember and your memory is this thing that you're consistently reestablishing and it, every time you make that connection again, it's either degrading or it's changing a little bit or how the way that you've changed is now recoloring that whole experience. Yes. And like, yeah. What's going on in your head? There's yeah. a lot that is like, is it true to the experience, or is it, or is just what you have now, what's real?
0: Totally, yeah. So I'm looking at the lyrics now. It's you know, architect to the culture of my mind. You are the architect for your own mind in some way.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So that sorry, the, I can um, start it. The line, the the group of lines before that goes right into it Mm -hmm. and it's broken up because that musical section changes and there's like that gap in the become architect. Like it
0: no change could even have a name to call itself architect to the culture of my mind. I can we can probably
1: keep scrolling. This is like go all the way back. It'd probably be easier because it just keeps Falling on top of itself Yeah, as the song This goes. is something
0: I noticed a lot in your lyric writing is like where a particular thought begins and ends can be sort of intentionally vague. Yeah. So you can read it both backwards and forwards. Is like this particular line mm. finishing the previous thought or is it starting the next thought? Uh, so that's something you wanted to, to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you pick up that kind of idea from?
1: From the, the poetry writing. Uh-huh. You know, there i forgetting the term because I've, I've been off the tech part of that for a while, but there's this idea of kind of delaying the res- resolution so that visually, when you look at the two stanzas happening, one is ending, and then it, it in, se- in, in itself is a complete thought, but then when you go to the next line, the next thought seems to keep continuing, and you're like, wait, wasn't weren't we done? But then you're reading it, and you're like, wait, that is also self-contained. You can read these things separately. You can read them as flowing into each other, and there's like this this space that happens in between. That's like a silence in a song, mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen next, and there's a lot of tension right there.
0: Right. It fits the style of the music too, because there is so much of this unresolved dissonance that happens in the music. You're constantly in this state of like holding tension. When is it going to get released? How is it going to get released? (sighs) And this song has a particularly huge release. This is another song with like a huge breakdown in it. Yeah. Uh, But it's a different kind, which I appreciate you didn't do the same trick like Mm -hmm. song to song. This one, there's just the dead pause then the breakdown (laughs) and like that's like a a different kind of trope but i i think it's really important for a hardcore record to not use the same tropes like directly next to each other even though there's there's only so many ways to like drop a breakdown on someone but it's all about like how and when Mm -hmm. you know were you consciously trying to like make each song have its own identity in that way
1: yeah i definitely wanted the songs to be like in the same universe but that you couldn't mistake one for the other. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that there's any way that you could look at any of these songs side by side and, and go, well, number four is number seven. Right. It's like, no, no, no. Number four is number four. Number seven is number seven. And there's like no way around it, you know? Totally. And I think that is really important because again, the style of music, things blend together really easily. Things get repeated a lot or like the same kinds of things happen too close to each other. And you're like, I don't know where I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any idea on the timeline where I am, or where I'm going, or where I've been.
0: And so, I also think it's crucial that this breakdown happens pretty much at like the halfway point of the record. Yeah. You know, like this song, it feels like closing out Act One. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and at this point, you've already sort of set up all of the various ways that the band can operate. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got like the announcing piece, which has like the sort of like as you described at the overture, like the variety pack yeah. of what the band can do. <laughs> you do a slow track, you do an absolutely insane like shred song. And then you have this song that kind of like closes it all up Yeah. before the, you know, sort of pause that happens in the record.
1: Yeah. And this song is like really wacky sounding, you mm-hmm. know, it was, it was really pushing the, where can I go with the hardcore thing? Like how mm-hmm. far away can I make it, but still make it like a, it's a hardcore song. And it's almost like country-ish, guitars Okay. In the, in the beginning like <laughs> like if you isolate that guitar track and that really insane bass line that follows it as it underneath mm-hmm. and you play like a train beat it kind of works like it's sure, just kind okay. of like it's like a disturbed country song but it was funny doing that later in practice And someone just like started playing that, but with like kind of a swing and we were Mm -hmm. like, oh God, this is what this really is.
0: (laughs) But that's how, you know, you get, you're like getting really good is when you can start not playing us like a heavy song as if it's something else. Like if you've internalized it to such a degree that you can start fucking around with it. Yeah. 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 I remember one time, uh, a record that I was making a, a long time ago at this point, we started, if we were like too tired, if it was like too late at night to like blast the songs out anymore, we would do these like, Fake jazz versions of them Hell yeah Where we just like (laughs) Take all the riffs And just swing everything And play it like Really (laughs) quiet Just to like Lock in the The structures You know mentally Yeah You can always find new ways To practice shit To like tighten it up In some way or another And
1: Eric and Sid And Jay Are all just Brilliant players Mm -hmm. And they can do Shit like that They just go Oh yeah We'll like Latinify it Right now As a joke Yeah And then we'll go into Like the Samba version Of this song Like this is so Fucking
0: cool (laughs) Have like any? Have you ever like had a moment where something like fucking around like that has led to an interesting idea that you actually implement? Uh, no, later. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I
1: feel like I had to ask. You never. No, know. no, no. I'm just like it's funny. It's like oh, this could lead to something cool. No. 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 <laughs> Nothing cool about this. So
0: the next track I was probably the least fucked up on the record is
1: probably yeah, yeah, best yeah. way to put it. <laughs> yeah, really hard left turn. Mm-hmm. Super hard. Did
0: you? feel like you needed to have some sort of musical break uh, to keep the other stuff feel as intense. Was it like a deliberate choice to like, okay, we need to calm down for a second or where did the, the need to put this track come in for you?
1: Misery signals, misery signals. Yes. Okay. I was like, okay, that first album has this really cool, like ambient instrumental track that makes this record feel so good. Mm -hmm. What if we did that? Yeah. You know, and like, how could I do that? But make it, this band and not sound like that song "Worlds and Dreams." You know? Yeah. So that's that's where this that's where placebo kind of came from. That was the the spark of it. I'm also always thinking about vinyl formatting, even though I've never printed a vinyl. Mm-hmm. Someone please print this on vinyl. Um, <laughs> this would be like the start of side B.
0: Right. So it's sort but, of a mirror of the uh, of who holds my head down in that way, which. Is, opens side A, this is the beginning of side B. Both right. have like an instrumental intro. Right, exactly. Yeah. There's. I just need to nerd out briefly about the drum part. Go so. ahead. Yeah. So uh, this is, I are, are you a fan of the band Opeth at no. all? Okay, cool. Interesting. <laughs> so Opeth do this sort of rhythm on the cymbals all the fucking time. Cool. So there's two ways of looking at it. it I, from the way that you're phrasing it, it sounds like a double paradiddle. Yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also... That same like da, 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 rhythm is from like an Afro-Cuban rhythm called the Bembe. Yeah. So it's like ding, ding, yeah. da, 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 ding, ding, da, ding ding, da da, 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 ding, ding. It's this great like six, eight kind of Afro-Cuban thing mm-hmm. that Opeth do all the fucking
1: time. Right. Yeah. Their old drummer was in super into Latin stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then like, because of that, this like, because this like Swedish death metal band was doing this like Latin rhythm, suddenly <laughs> all of these other fucking like metal bands that had no relation to Afro Cuban music whatsoever, start doing that rhythm. And it like spreads across the metal scene. It's one of the weirdest <laughs> little like examples of, you know, multiculturalism and heavy music. I fucking love it. Uh, I just wanted wow, that's to, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the kind of thing where it, like, makes sense in both contexts because it's this, like, you can play it as a super hard-charging kind of, like, aggressive sort of rhythm if you want to.
1: Yeah, especially if you just do double-kick mirroring everything that your hand's doing, mm -hmm. you know? (coughs) Yeah, for this, I was thinking, like, Led Zeppelin, Saw Fool in the Rain or something. Uh Uh-huh. Just that, like, really big shuffle in the staircase vibe. And I was like, that's what I wanted. Oh, um, that's the
0: song that's like the, sort of like the fake reggae tune that bah, they do.
1: Bah, 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 yeah. Whatever it is. Nasty yeah. fucking drum groove on that track. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So I really wanted to kind of like go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, there's another chance for us to not only show you, just like show we had more, you yeah. know, it's not just D beats and really like hellish harmony and everything. Like yeah. there's some for- thought happening. Um, it's a nice break, and it sounds really. It's like it does one of my favorite things in music, which is it's really easy to hear. Mm. It's not easy to play. Yeah. You yes.
0: Know? Okay. Totally. It's a, this idea that I, I remember the uh, the lead guy in the band Pain of Salvation. Ooh. Sort of, uh, it's like this Swedish prog band. In case you're wondering, this is like a. Area of interest of mine is yeah. like
1: <laughs> Ian likes Sweden. Everyone, <laughs> Sweden. Get Ian a free plane ticket if please, you could. Please.
0: Um, happy to go there anytime. <laughs> um, but he talks about like songs that have like use like a car metaphor. Mm. You know, like you can have a car that looks cool or you can have a car that has a good engine. You know. And so, like, a really good complicated song has a really good engine. Like, the engine is what makes it complicated, not the appearance. Right. You can have a normal looking car that just runs on something fucking incredible. It's was basically the, <laughs> my interpretation as a native New Yorker who's never driven a car. Interpreting <laughs> a Swedish guy trying to describe music using a car metaphor. So, we're just probably a lot being lost in translation. And I, think
1: it's <laughs> no, I, I like see what that guy's going for. Yeah. And, you know, it's. I want the the song to be approachable, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of like hear it and get it and be a part of it, but then try and play it and like your fingers fall off. Right. Kind of deal. <laughs> and there's this like a uh, I remember when I was very much younger, uh, I had this idea. It's was kind of petty. I was like, I don't want, 13-year-olds to be able to, like, come in and just, like, tear me up. So, right. I like, I need to <laughs> do something where, like, if you try to imitate me, it won't be right because there's this, like, other thing that's happening that you'll, like, never figure out. <laughs> 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 right, yeah. Because I'm sure that's, like, still in me at some level. It's like, yeah, you could be like, oh, this detached the Island song. Like, yeah. I'll just, like, it's like they're not even doing anything. And mm-hmm. then, what the fuck are they doing, man? <laughs> I I can't believe I'm
0: going for a third reference to a Swedish band on (laughs) one track, but this is the thing that I see with Meshuggah all the time where like people will think like, oh yeah, I've got like the rhythm of it, but then you actually like listen to the guitar parts and there's so much more like articulation that's so specific to how they do it. Mm -hmm. And it's why like all the gent bands that rip them off don't sound like them still because they're not playing the guitars with the same like specific articulation and like voicings that Meshuggah use. They also
1: don't go as far as Masuga goes. Yeah. Like, Masuga goes so out into space yeah. with how rhythmically complicated they are and how harmonically complicated they are mm-hmm. that the imitators go only maybe a third of the way. They go, okay, I like this, like, one you know, kind of like dotted 16th thing that they do. And there's just like a China happening. Like that's Meshuggah, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah.
0: Throw in a like sloppily written pop chorus in the middle. And, yeah. yeah. Call it a day. Great. <laughs> right.
1: And like Dillinger ripoff stuff converge every time I die. Like those, those like, that's like a lot of big four to me in a lot uh-huh. of ways. Like Meshuggah, Dillinger converge every time I die. There's like a lot of people are just kind of like looking at touchstones, those bands. And they go okay, like what do they do? Yeah, and they just kind of latch on to a very specific couple of ideas, and then just do them to death, but don't even go as like again as far as those bands would take them,
0: right? You or know? bring in some sort of outside influence. Like when like I think of each of those bands, yeah. there's always like your sort of generic idea of a converge song, mm-hmm. but then you're like, oh well, they also do like you know dark folk ballads All on right. like every single record and like none of the drip-off bands know even how to fucking
1: approach that right or like everything that Kurt knows about the blues
0: yeah <laughs> that you can totally fucking hear in his guitar playing you like listen to that sort of shit or like he'll bust out like Van Halen wicks that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the bands that yeah. rip off converge think they're too cool to learn how to do. So they, right. they mess that part of it up
1: or they go, well, that's not the, that's not what's hard, dude. Yeah. Just about to like whatever the fuck, yeah. you know, like, um,
0: saddest day part 10. Yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> the one band that I think that people talk about a lot, but no one actually even tries to sound like is botch. Oh yeah. Botch gets thrown into this conversation and like the, for fans of etc band mm-hmm. all the time. And no one sounds like them. No one even tries.
0: Norma Jean got close, but couldn't nail
1: it. Right. That one time. Yeah. And then they went, all right, <laughs> you know, we'll just leave this yeah. because we'll, who's going here? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. No, that, that's another, oh man, we can talk about other bands <laughs> once we're done recording, but for now we got another half of your record to talk about. Sure. So, <laughs> so next up, Refugee Anatomy. Yes. Um. This is a great way to sort of like, since you brought down the energy on placebo so much, this is a way of ramping it back up without inducing too much whiplash. Yeah. Because it's a slower track, but it's still like heavy and
1: just upsetting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's fucked. Emotionally yeah. fucked, yeah. <laughs>
0: like that lead guitar part, it's like the, just, oh, you feel bad. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Good. Yes. Okay. Good. You you felt how I felt. Yeah. This is,
0: uh, to me, this is kind of the like emotional core of the album. Yeah. It's the, the most like vulnerable point because mm-hmm. it's to, it's just a, to at least the way I heard it is it's about self hatred on some level. Mm. You know, it's about like feeling trapped in yourself and not wanting to be there. Yeah. And like wanting to either change who you are or destroy yourself in the process.
1: It's pretty on. It's mm-hmm. pretty on. It's directly focused at me having Crohn's disease. Gotcha. Um, and this is like the one track that just deals with that straight at it, but extrapolating that specific reference point to those other things you're talking about is pretty much right on. Gotcha. You know?
0: So how, how do you feel like that connects to the larger ideas we were talking about with the record?
1: Uh, I mean, it's kind of unique in that it, it's it goes there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is probably just the most different song on the record. Like it's the it's the furthest away from everything else. Does that answer your, qu- sort of, yeah. your question? Sort of, yeah. Like it Sorry. definitely it
0: ha- it has a distinct like musical contrast with the rest of the record because it has a bit more dynamic like dips and valleys. Yeah. Um that set it apart. It's the longest track on the record. It's I think like the slowest.
1: Yeah. Um in some parts it is. Yeah.
0: It, al- it also just feels like a lot of the other topics on the album so far have been either outwardly facing, like about like politics or like social media and like dating yeah. and like relationships. Uh, and then, yeah, starting on cultural Culture Architects and this track, the album comes a, a lot more internally focused. Yeah, we come
1: in in the middle.
0: Was that like a intentional structure trick or is that just how it worked out? No, okay. that just
1: worked out that way. Awesome. Like everything just kind of felt like it wanted to go here mm-hmm. and I, I think you asked me something that would put me here before but i forget what it is uh just about like the songwriting intent yeah um a lot of this stuff i just write when i'm, I'm writing i just go in and trust my ear first mm-hmm. like this sounds good to me this makes me feel something let's keep going i'm not paying attention too too much to the, the like intense theory behind it because it is but i'm not using that first when I get stuck I'll go to the theory and like kind of deconstruct where I am and go okay this needs to go here it needs to go there or analyze everything later and go okay is this working the most that it could let's really go under the hood and look at it Mm -hmm. and then having to write lead sheets for everything to teach everybody all the music. (laughs) It's really, really also (laughs) dials that in, you know? Yeah. Cause I have to reanalyze, okay, here's all the notes Mm -hmm. for everything. Okay. This is really what this chord is. Yeah. And like, here's how it all actually is uh, working in a very like detailed academic way, Mm -hmm. but I don't go there first.
0: And so for this song, did you go in with the intention of writing like a slower, more deliberate track or how did this song come together
1: uh, musically? It started with that opening guitar mm-hmm. uh, line. Like, oh man, like you're saying, like, I just like, really, I just feel like I'm crushed by that melody, yeah. you know? And then I went, okay, how do I flesh that out? How do I take that to like the most intense emotionally distressed version of it that I can. Mm-hmm. And then also how can I use sus two chords? Cause who's using that in a hardcore band?
2: <laughs> so
1: that's right. like the other is doing that behind it. I'm like, well, this is a really pleasant sounding chord on its own.
0: And then with that melody, yeah, it just like, sounds like, oh, crunch, just yeah.
1: de- <laughs> destroy like, oh God. And then this was a, a, also a lot of ideas that I went, well, what if we did this? And what if we tried that? And what if we tried this? And, and you know, it's like that kind of thing, and then it goes into like a uh, very like Chris Penny kind of blasty section, but it's all in twelve. Mm-hmm. And then there's another, there's a lot of sections that are in twelve eight. I'm like, okay, who's using, who's like doing that? Let's like explore that weird island that has barely a flag near it. Right. And then there's the that section in the middle where it's just like there's no drums. And I wrote that, like I was saying before, there's a lot that's written before I even write the drum parts to it. And I went, well, what if I just leave the drums out?
2: Yeah. What would happen then? Right.
1: And then, you know, have this like cavernous vocals. And I'm like, wow, this is like a really heavy, like screamo, a really emotionally vulnerable section. I was like, well, okay, we just gotta just like leave this here. Like fuck drums, dude. Like mm-hmm. drums can come back later when I, when they like, finish smoking or whatever, yeah. you know, like <laughs> Take a break, drums. Mm-hmm. We're going to just like feel now.
0: <laughs> and so you know that you're going to be playing drums on all the songs. So right. do you? how much are you catering to yourself as a player when you're writing?
1: As much as possible. By nature of me not playing it physically first a lot of the time, it puts me out of my comfort zone. So I'm like, okay, this idea, I understand exactly how it works because it's not like there's five things hitting at once in the MIDI drum mm-hmm. kit. Like, okay, this is all how the drummer would play it, but you know, I have to like learn this now. Yeah. Um, and so there like the there's kind of a drum solo-ish part in this song before we get to the bah, 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 right. Like I programmed that all out pretty much exactly oh, wow. how it is recorded. Okay. Um like, okay, this is sick. I will to learn this now. <laughs> you know?
0: Do you yeah, so you come up you feel like you come up with uh different parts on the MIDI version that you would if you had tried to write that starting on the drums.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it definitely pushes my natural tendencies away, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool because I don't just fall into ruts as much. Yeah. And then obviously when the band is playing together, I'm like, okay, that doesn't like, that was just kind of a template part. I can really use this as more of a jumping off point and just go from here.
0: And so for the next song, this, you had brought up previously the reset yourself to zero. Yeah. This is an explicitly political song again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting because I interpreted this as like anti self propaganda. (laughs) Cool. It's like a voice inside of your head that is like telling you to go fuck yourself in some way. It's like the part of you that like hates you, like saying this about you. Do you know this, uh, the Kendrick Lamar song, you off of to pimp a butterfly. Yeah. Like that's kind of the vibe that I got from it. But,
1: where did where did that come from? Um, you know,
0: so I just kind of like got stuck on this this metaphor of like the of geography itself. You know, like uh. your body as like a nation state in some yeah. way. <laughs> you know, because that comes up in uh, in Refugee Anatomy. Um, yeah, go like to the, go to my the grotesque tape. empire of a body. You know, like that yeah. line, like that idea of like. The self as a place. Mm. And th- then I sort of like went backwards and looked at all the other lines that are describing places or governments mm. and sort of interpreted them through that lens which it holds together. So yeah. <laughs> in cool. case anyone else is listening to the record that way, it works. But... We'll
1: start that conspiracy theory. Okay. Like the... <laughs> I'll get
0: the Reddit thread going. Yeah, you yeah.
1: Know? <laughs> well, how many times did he say this? And like, how does it all link together? And like, if you if you like reassemble all those references, is it like the lyrics to like something else? And like, <laughs> if you play the record <laughs> alongside this movie, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: And with the right decoder ring, that's when the real Detach the Islands album comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like,
1: <laughs> this is actually how you solve the, the Bermuda Triangle, and there's a stone hidden under Florida. I'm like, <laughs> this is so insane. So it's actually much more literal,
0: then. Like, uh, the leaflet drop details how to disintegrate and the ways that Pulse should act. Like, all of that, it's like, it, this is actual anti prop, like, this is propaganda, essentially. Yeah. Break that down for me, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So the song deals with like a a political powerlessness Mm -hmm. feeling. And a lot of it is the voice of a lot of it is coming from the person who's uh, diminishing your power. Right. Like it's the the person in the, the office kind of like diminishing you.
0: So I was right that it's not coming from your voice. It's 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 deliberately like an outside voice that is. Delivering something to to you, the listener.
1: It's yeah, like, and a lot of it. And yeah. there are certain points where you're the listener is kind of like shouting back. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is like, no, you deserve to be where you are. You know, you you've kind of like earned the dirt.
0: I like the whole like lift yourself up by your bootstraps
1: kind of right ideology. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. So when did you start writing this song with that? In-
1: uh, I think it came with the the title. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the title came first. I was like, Reset Yourself to Zero. That sounds cool. And I really like the number zero. It's my favorite number. I'm just kind of fascinated by it and mm-hmm. everything that goes into it being like nothing and then also everything. And there's like so much just like in there. So I'm just a sucker for things with zero in them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what does it mean to reset yourself to zero? Like, who is that happening to?
0: It's another cool contrast musically, too, because yeah. it's very short, very fast. Uh, it's a great way of like kind of pushing the album towards its conclusion. You mm-hmm. know, I, I feel like there are some near the end of every record, especially in heavy music, you should have a song that sort of speeds up what feels like the pace of the album mm. so that you don't feel like you're laboring to get to the end, you know? I feel like this is a problem a lot of bands run into where they're like, oh, the album's getting close to the end, so here's where we put all the slow songs to let people know that the album is ending. Like, no, <laughs> then it becomes fucking boring to listen to. <laughs> you know, you've got to speed up at the end mm. in some way. Uh, so it's another great bit of pacing in my, in my mind.
1: Thanks. It's also an antidote to the longest song. Right. It's the shortest proper track. Mm-hmm. You know? And it has like a, almost like a pop structure. Yeah. You know, it's like verse, chorus, verse again, bridge, chorus, it's over. Yeah. You know?
0: That's a perfect hardcore song structure. Right. It's like
1: bang, bang, woo, bang, done. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then on to the next one. Um, Activate Me. Coming back to the idea of like writing hooks for this stuff. Hmm. Because this is one with another like really identifiable uh, lead guitar part that sort of serves as like the crux of the entire song.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: How do you... figure out how to write something that's both dissonant and catchy at the same time.
1: Uh, anything is catchy. If you repeat it, that's kind of all catchiness is right. You know, if you don't repeat it, it can't be catchy. If you feel like, and again, if you have a good idea, keep doing it. There's no reason to, to let a good theme go to waste.
0: This also is kind of like a, a heavy hitter on the record because it's where the, both the title of the album and the title of the band come from.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So this is like the sort of flagship song for everything <laughs> that you've got going on.
1: Yeah, the yeah, the the name of the band came from the lyrics, mm-hmm.
0: 100%. And so w- did this song <clears throat> come early on? Is this one of those like first five tracks that you wrote or did, did this one come later?
1: I don't remember. I think no, I think it's it's if it's not then it's like right after that initial uh-huh. burst of things. Cuz I know the intro Active, um, announcing piece, reset and rhythm were all in like that first batch of stuff I showed to,
0: that to makes a you. ton of sense. Cause yeah. you like wrote one of each of the archetypes mm-hmm. of like hardcore songs. Like <laughs> this is our super fast one. This is our intro. You know, this is our like slow jam. Right. You know, yeah. It like <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This is, this is a, uh, a heavy song to dig into lyrically too. I, because it's got so many of like the key phrases that are associated with the band hmm. What are, what does the album title mean? The burden to become fact.
1: There's a couple things. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, a lot of it has to do with the struggle just to exist. Right. You know, it's, uh, for the band to exist, like there's a heavy weight just to become realized. Yes. You know? To become a fact. If you're a fact, you're something that exists in the world in an undeniable way.
0: Yeah, other people can point to you and say that exists. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. And for so long, this band was, one, not a band, really. And a lot of it was not recorded. It was just the digital MIDI information. Like, mm-hmm. that only exists insofar as my computer programs. Like, it doesn't live in the world. And so that was part of it. Uh, the other is to do more without like the meaning of the song, which is the, our presence in a, in a digital way. You know, Mm. there's this other self that's struggling to prove that it exists and like prove that we are noteworthy, a burden for you to be recognized for you to be factual.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a fascinating thing to point out because especially on, in like our digital selves, the systems encourage us to present ourselves there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And for that to be the full representation of you, but doing so is a performance, you know, right.
1: there's no way to do that.
0: Right. It's a, it's a fucking shell game. You know, like you try so hard to become realer by creating a false persona. You right. only separate yourself further and further and further from who you actually are. The more and more you try to make that real. Mm-hmm. And so, Detach the Islands is that about like letting go of that stuff and like sort of recentering yourself in reality? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's about getting rid of the things that hold you back or that you've been hanging on to or just things that are hanging on to you, mm-hmm. and getting rid of them, you know, and becoming more one with what's real.
0: Right. And that's another example of the sort of uh, geography as
1: selfhood metaphor. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that a lot. Geography as self. A book by Ian Corey.
0: (laughs) And yeah, this is another song that does like, I I can hear the way that you're using that sort of central guitar lick to do a bunch of different things. Mm. Because by the end of the song, you're taking it and you're slowing it down and it becomes less of like a hook and more of a
1: a knife. Ah, (laughs) Yeah. And also the bass starts doing it too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're moving that idea around to get as much out of it as possible.
1: Right. Yeah. Kids, you're getting the idea. Look, look, (laughs) music, it's happening. It's so true. You know, how much can I wring out of this idea that I have?
0: Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that takes a while to learn, too. Mm -hmm. Like, did you write other music in other bands before
1: this one? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, do, do, have you always had that kind of approach, or is that something that you had to, like, figure out as you wrote?
1: Totally yeah. had to figure it out. Definitely mm-hmm. had to figure it out in school. Yeah. You know, and having a lot of the uh, kind of, like, Berkeley machine hitting me at a time when I was just starting to write music, I only just write it, started writing music in school. Okay. You know, and, and Berkeley has a lot of, like, Will this be commercially viable? You know, how do we get you to have a career in music is a lot of what Berkeley's about. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to focus on a lot of contemporary and kind of like popular music-oriented programming. So you have that element to it, this popular music, and then you you have some like uh, classical music injected in there too. And a huge part of both of those idioms is you only need to have one really good idea, mm-hmm. and then you can base the whole piece around that. You know, you don't really one, two, maybe three good ideas. Yeah. After that, it's like too many ingredients. And if we keep going with the food thing, if you have too many strong presences happening all at once, you don't taste anything. Right. You know, it just well, tastes... you can't
0: say even what the meal is anymore. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So if you have a good idea. And you're like, wow, that's a really solid theme. Go for it. Like, run with it. Take it as far as you can. And your music will sound a lot more cohesive. Mm -hmm. You know, it won't sound like it's jumping. Even if it's jumping around, you know, it'll all sound like it's still coming from the same thread. Mm -hmm. You know, or you're ripping threads away from the same thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a much more cogent metaphor for this particular style of music where it's aggressive and kind of Ah! uh, going for that breaking stuff feeling that you were describing. Right,
1: exactly. So that, you know, that guitar lick sets things up in the beginning. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't really come back until like the two thirds away in the song.
0: Yeah, there's sort of like, there's a version of it where like the entire band is kind of like pushing behind it for a while too. Mm -hmm. So you get like the same idea, but with a different arrangement. Right. that makes it feel different.
1: And then you get a third arrangement of it when again when it's everything slows down. Mm-hmm. And then the bass starts doubling it. And then that really hammers it home in this, like very like you were saying, kind of like grind you into the dust way, rather than like, oh, it's very high above everything else and it's very floaty.
0: One of the things I love about that is it sort of puts to rest this idea that like heavy music has nothing to learn from popular music. Huh. You know? Like this is a problem that I see a lot. It's more in the metal community than in the hardcore community mm. where like there's this idea that like taking tricks from pop music is somehow like making your music worse. Mm-hmm. You really? Know? Like the metal heads get way up in the, up their own ass about this. Do tell. Uh, well, but it's basically like, Oh, I've just got to come up with as many good riffs as possible. Right. And if I just string them together, I've got a good song. Absolutely not. Like that's just not how it works. Like even the best metal songs secretly have, like, a main theme or some idea that just gets reworked a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, and going back to Converge, I feel like that's the the difference between, like, their really early stuff and their sort of, like, more popular shit now is, like, you can sort of hear, starting with, like, Jane Doe, oh, they're suddenly writing songs that only have, like, a really distinct number of ideas right. instead of Saddest Day, which is just, like, a lot of riffs. Right, you
1: know? <laughs> right. this is all really cool, but what happened? Yeah. Why are, why is it
0: suddenly in the hall of the mountain King? Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that I agree a hundred percent. And and then a lot of those bands, the one that the, especially when you see them live, you're like, I you have just like, again, like we were saying in the beginning, just this general impression of what they sounded like, but you don't mm-hmm. really come away with much. Um, or the song is like, wow, that part's cool. And that part's cool, but it feels disjointed and um riff riff
0: salad yeah
1: comes to mind
0: surprisingly not healthy
1: yeah, i, really, I like
0: other kinds of salad
1: riff salad mostly ranch yeah it turns out <laughs> right
0: especially with that other problem that you're talking about uh the other thing you were focusing on in terms of writing for the basement making parts like sonically distinct yeah you know and instead of it all just being like ra- like ranch dressing you've got to have your you know lettuce you've got to have your tomatoes you get like Throw a crudon, crouton in there somewhere, you know? Like, <laughs> give him a crouton, for God's sake! <laughs> like, space it out. Make it distinct from each other, but cohesive, right. songwriting-wise. Like, the variety should come in the sound, not in the source, you
1: know? And, to, just to piggyback on that, one of the ideas I wanted for the band, besides the ones I've listed already, is that I wanted the compositions to talk mm. more than I wanted the tone to do the work yeah because a lot of these genre subgenres rely on like the force of the instruments to do a lot of the heavy lifting like there's a lot of feedback there's things that are just kind of like blasting away and it's just very intense like wall happening mm-hmm. and DTI definitely has walls that hit you but I want the, the way the music is arranged and the tr- notes that are being chosen to do that work. Yeah, totally. So, so that you don't have to rely on as much like the gear per se as it is. Just like the music will speak for itself. Just if you just play this correctly, it will do a lot of the work for you. It will be like unavoidably itself.
0: Yes, yeah. There's a lot of bands that I, I think of as like good amp bands, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I see them live and I'm like, wow, I, I that was great listening to that. You know, yeah, gi- like- those giant amplifiers sounded fucking awesome. Yeah. percent. <laughs>
1: yeah, and like there's
0: the, the distinction then is like, if you're a good amp band with a good drummer that gets you pretty much like 60% of the way
1: there. There's so many bands. Yeah. There's so many bands.
0: Um, but the real, like the upper echelon, it's like that shit and then good songs Mm -hmm. and like really good composition. One of the things I really like about this album is that you're not, like it's not like overloaded with distortion. Like it's really easy to hear everything, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of bands are afraid of doing that because it's like, oh, it's not heavy enough. It it doesn't like, it's not like sonically like big and muscular and going to beat down (laughs) everything that's in its path. It's like, no, you've got this like much more sort of austere, presentation where you can actually hear all the distinct parts yeah that speaks to a level of confidence and as far as i can tell
1: thanks yeah. thank you you know what you want to know what inspired that nirvana nirvana okay like there's a, there's a really cool interview with dave grohl mm-hmm. Chris, noah selick butch vig and john stewart huh john stewart is interviewing those guys about the making of nevermind
0: gotcha okay
1: And Butch talks about how there's so little layering on that album. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? That record is so huge sounding. Like there's almost no vocal harmonies. If the guitars are double tracked, it's just one in the left, one in the right. That's it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) It's mostly drum mics on the channel strip. Mm -hmm. And that's how this record looks. If you go into the Pro Tools session, It's like 20 drum mics and then a couple guitars, one bass, and usually one vocal. Yeah. And that's it. Partly because, you know, the parts are very dense and complex, and I wanted all those notes to be heard. You know, I don't want... I wrote them, so I want them to be out there and, like, all work the way they're supposed to work together. So if you have too much distortion harmonies that are too complex they turn into mud very like the relationships between all the structures become like very smudgy yeah so if your band is highly distorted your harmonies have to become simpler yeah or more spread out for them to be heard if you have a little less distortion you can be a little bit more colorful and everything will be present
0: yeah totally this is like why when you listen to like math rock bands they're able to do much more elaborate sort of jazzy progressions that like would not fucking fly in like a, a metal or hardcore setting mm-hmm. just cause it's, it doesn't translate, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. It would just yeah. sound like distortion mm-hmm. and it, like you wouldn't hear all the intricacies that they want you to hear. Exactly. So the tone was like set up that way. It's not, it's distorted, but not too crazy. And then the parts themselves are like harmonically distant enough from each other. So they don't step on each other that much. And then the mix is sparse enough where it's still thick and like really big, but nothing's again, masking each other. There's not a lot of room for anything to get in the way because there's nothing there. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: So I don't want to, uh, waste your time too much. So I want to get to the last song on the
1: record. You can't waste my time. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate your time.
0: So the last record, you are the ghost last song. Yeah. Of the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, when did you realize this had to be the final track?
1: Uh, because of its ending. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this can do, there's nothing that I can put in this set of songs that comes after that. Something that's that destructive. Right. You know? I see that part as like the zenith of mayhem on the, that the album has to give. Like, I can't get crazier than this. It doesn't get really much more dissonant than this. It's just red at 11, clawing your face. You know, where can I go from here?
0: I was wondering whether that's something that like changed over time with the song when you realized that you were going to use it at the end or whether that happened naturally in the course of the writing. It sounds like it's the latter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I kill myself over the order of songs Mm -hmm. for everything. I have rearranged other bands' albums (laughs) in my iTunes (laughs) because I'm like, oh, it sounds better like this.
0: Man, I like... I know that exact feeling. The thing that has ruined this is like good mastering on records that like has like, you know, fade
1: outs in between songs. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you reorder it, it like, you're like, no, <laughs> you made it. So I can't fuck with it. Good on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I knew it was going to be the last track. Mm-hmm. That guitar lead is, sounds very in the very, in the beginning, something about it sounds like this is our last stand. Yeah. Like after you've heard all this other shit. And then that, that, End section is just like come on, what what do I I can't go beyond this in right. this set of songs like I've got nothing left.
0: There's no encore like this is it like yeah you take like you've built up this entire world over the course of the record and then at the very end of this song you tear the set down. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so lyrically, I feel like it's the it's a really interesting track because it feels resigned to an adversarial relationship in some way. Hmm. It's like saying. I'm gonna be fighting my entire life, but to not fight would mean death. So I've just gotta keep fucking doing it. Mm. Is and that's like a you know conceptual interest of mine, you know, but that's sort of the vibe that I got from
1: it. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, there's
0: no escaping the path because in rejection it will flood with disaster. You know, and then the line the ideas continue to flow from that. But like that chunk to mm. me is like, okay, either I can let disaster happen or I guess I just got to keep fucking struggling you know. <laughs> and one is preferable to the other.
1: Yeah. This song is another, it's another relationship track.
0: Mm, okay.
1: And it's about, it's, it kind of retreads similar ideas to rhythm in that it's like, why do these same kind of things keep happening? But this time it's more about like, why do I feel like I keep having to force myself into relationships? You okay know? yeah what is this feeling that i have that's pushing me to be with other people and then it's like i have this this urge to be with someone and then i'm with them briefly and then i'm like ah, oh, why why did i do this i didn't really want this you know i'm like wasting mine and this other person's time like oh. and then i have to you have to end things and it's messy and like why? Why did I even get this started in the first place? Like, what do I keep going back to? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, right? And so, you are the ghost that I haunt. Like that were that line sums it up a lot, right?
0: right? I th- like, I also thought that was the key mm-hmm. the key moment on the song. So what is what does that line mean to you?
1: Well, let's let's read through the whole that whole section. So
0: you are the ghost that I haunt the specter i can't let sleep because you'll never be less than the perfect fuel for the most horrid solace eroding what's inside
1: me yeah so again that that's kind of like the thesis of the song it's Mm -hmm. like this thing that is supposed to be good for me i keep going to it but it keeps like tearing things down yeah you know it keeps me i keep making things worse by trying to go for this thing that i think should be good for me and then i get there i'm like wow this is so good oh my god this is terrible like i didn't actually want this it's just something like i feel like it's like compulsory and then i just you know i feel horrible (laughs) in in that process of getting involved and then like no ah you shouldn't have shouldn't have even started this like right should have waited or just like just not even gone here at all like assess yourself assess your feelings yeah you know it's so
0: interesting like your interpretation obviously uh, your intention as well since it's your record yeah yeah um is so much darker of an ending than i got out of it (laughs) (laughs) like uh, my attitude was like yeah like you're the ghost but i'm fucking haunting you asshole (laughs) (laughs) Like, all of, the, all of this shit that is, like, causing me pain, like, it can't escape me either, you know? Mm. It's like the, the, the do you ever see Watchmen or read Watchmen, the mm. comic book? There's this character that gets, like, a, a vigilante who gets, like, caught and thrown in jail. But then he just starts, like, when everyone else is trying to kill him, he's just destroying them. He's like, I'm not locked in here with you. You're, You're locked, locked in here with, with me. me. That idea is, like, kind of the vibe that I got from this. Is cool. like there's a lot of things taking it as like a conclusion to the record. Mm. There's like all of this shit that is, uh, either like eroding modern life or like eroding my ability to connect with other people or like actively destroying me. Mm. But underneath all of that, when you get down to it, it's I'm still here and all of that shit can't escape the fact that I'm involved in this too. Mm -hmm. So obviously it ends with like some of the most fucking brutal lyrics on the record. There's no error in this factory. So let the Pistons crush my dying lungs into dust. (laughs) That's a dark ending. (laughs) Undeniably, you've got me there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, but that, that attitude that you were saying that struck you just before, I also have that attitude in my daily life. Mm -hmm. It's like life is like stuck with me. So that's cool that that, in some kind of like subversive way also hit you. Yeah. Um, it's
0: there in the music, even though it's not necessarily like what the songs are necessarily yeah. directly about. I think that's also just kind of like, again, it's a, a, a particular like hardcore uh, punk way of looking at the world.
1: Right. We will not be stopped no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no way to get, get around us. You just have to deal with us.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great fucking final statement to make on your, first record too like we're fucking here now
1: yeah man yeah Yeah. well
0: thank you for coming through today and uh talking about the record with me
1: you're welcome thanks for having me
0: thank you again for listening and thank you to emmett again for joining me you can find detach the islands on bandcamp at detachtheislands.bandcamp.com on instagram and on facebook under the name detach the islands you can find me on Instagram at IanKCorey and on Twitter at Lamniforms underscore. More episodes coming soon. Until next time.